You're listening to a message from Victory Church of the Bay Area. For more information, please visit us on our website at victoryus.org. I would like to welcome you. My name is Neil Bernardino and I am the pastor of this church. We are in the second installment of our series entitled Selfless. And basically, we are looking at the topic of love. And we're going to touch on relationships. And today, we're particularly going to touch on marriage. This is the love month. This Tuesday, it's going to be Valentine's Day. One of the most commercialized days of the year. February hits. People think of love. And uh, some people think they become depressed because they don't have anyone who loves them. And some people get depressed because they don't know what love is. And some people are confused because they're confused with what love is. And what we're trying to do in this series is that we want to understand what love is as God has defined it. Because God is the author of real love. We don't want to fall for whatever definition of love that society gives. We want to go for the real thing. And that is what we want to understand. As we move in God's love, we will move in His power. To do that, we are to give of ourselves. That's why the title of this sermon series is Selfless. When you move in love, you move not in selfishness, but in selflessness. You give of yourself away. And today we're going to look at the topic of marriage. Let's turn to Ephesians 5 verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as a church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word has timeless truth. Your word, Lord, transcends culture and time, for it is eternal. And Lord, it brings eternal transformation to our lives. Lord, help us to hear your word through your spirit and help us to hear your word so that we may live according to your word, that we may live to honor you. Lord, we thank you. We commit this sermon to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, last week we looked at basically the foundation of this sermon series, which is love. And when you say love, and you're thinking of what you can get out of it, you're not moving in love. For love's nature is always to give, not to get. Last week, our topic was in the same chapter, but in verses 1 and 2. It says there to imitate the Lord and to walk in His love. 
And that is what we are to do. We are to imitate Him. And as we do that, we will walk in His love. And the main point that we talked about last week is experiencing Christ's love enables us to express His love to others. We cannot give what we do not have. And we cannot love people as Christ loved us if we have not been recipients of Christ's love. If we do not understand the love of Christ in our lives, we can't give it away. We can't express it to others. We can call ourselves Christian. We can go to church. We can attend the small groups, the victory groups. We can even read the Bible. Did you know that we can preach the gospel? That we can do miraculous things? But what does the Bible say? If we do not have love, even if we can do these things, we are nothing. That's what the Word says. Love is the great motivator in life. That is the motive of life. And that is the foundation of our relationships. And that's why I talked about that last week. And here, we are going to look at Paul's commands regarding how husbands and wives are to relate with one another in light of Christ's love for them and in light of Christ's relationship with the church. And you see, the Apostle Paul likened the relationship of a husband and wife to that of Christ and his church. Paul alluded that how you relate to one another is to reflect how Jesus loved his church and how the church loves Jesus back. That is a reflection of marriage. Now, let's look at Paul's commands regarding marriage. We're going to look at uh, his commands, and then we're going to look at some of the concerns that people have regarding what the Bible says about marriage, and hopefully we'll see that we can apply God's word in our lives even today. Okay, so let's look at the commands of Paul regarding marriage. Paul had several instructions, as we've read already. The first one is in verse 21, and it says that that serves as a foundation for all these commands that Paul gave the Ephesian churches. He says there, to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the first command, basically, not a command, but it's implied there, is that for us to be able to fully relate with one another as husband and wife in the light of Christ's love for us, the foundation there is that we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the first thing that we see Paul speaks of as command is for us to revere Christ. Our mutual submission to one another as husband and wife should be out of reverence for Christ. When we think about the word marriage, a lot of people think about needs. His needs, her needs. You don't meet my needs. Oh yeah? Well, you don't meet my needs too. They're also focused on meeting each other's needs. But that's missing the point. Can I say this at the outset? If you look to your spouse to meet all your needs, what you're doing is you're putting the pressure on your spouse to be like God. To be God. Tim Keller said this, we never marry the right person. How many of you are looking for Mr. Right or Miss Right? Newsflash, we never marry the right. Why? Because we are all imperfect beings. And the beauty of marriage is this. It is in marriage that God forges our character. Do you realize that God uses your spouse? If you're married, God is using your spouse to help shape and forge your character so that you will look like him. Sometimes you go, ah, but you, you understand, ah, yes, you're using her or you're using him. 
You're using him to teach me. You're using her, my wife, to teach me about who you are and to respond to you. That's the beauty of marriage. And, you know, if you won't escape that, it depends now on how you respond to it. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And basically this verse, and together with last week's message, serves as uh, the context for all the commands Paul gave here. And the word reverence here, basically, is just somewhat similar to fear. Because the Greek word for reverence is phobos, which is the word for fear. But not just a bad fear, but this is a reverence, a high regard, such a high respect for someone, especially a deity, that the way it looks is like it is fear, but it's not actually bad fear. It is a healthy fear of God. That's why the Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How many of you want to walk in wisdom in this world? You can't walk in wisdom without the fear of God. If you think you're wise without the fear of God, then you're wise in your own eyes. You don't have wisdom, you have folly. In our relationships, Paul taught that we as Christians are to submit to one another out of reverence, out of fear, out of great respect for Christ. The reason sometimes when you are faced with a situation and involving a person that defends you, you just want to retaliate. Sometimes it feels so good just to get back. It's like, get even, right? Just like uh, there was a character back in the 80s, a movie, I forgot that. But anyway, this character says, revenge is better than Christmas. But you see, the Christian way is not that. We are not to take matters in their own hands and get even. We let God vindicate us. And that is hard. It takes a lot of faith and respect for God. And that's why we hold back. There are times I want to slap someone or, you know, get even. I'm just being honest, okay? What? Are pastors like that? All of us are like that. Come on now. Who are you kidding? Being a pastor doesn't elevate me to a superhuman. I'm human. That is hard. But we do so by the grace of God. And out of respect for Christ, we will do what is right. That is the foundation of this commands regarding husbands and wives. Is to out of reverence for Christ. But as we walk in the will of God, we'll see that it's not just something that we just have to do. It's something that we will learn to enjoy and get to do. And if we revere God, if we revere Christ, then relating with one another and submitting to one another, mutual submission will be a lot easier. Wouldn't you agree? If we know how to fear God, and if He is supreme in our lives, then all our relationships will be a lot easier. Even if you're dealing with hard people. Second command that Paul gave here, this is particularly for the wife, and that is to submit to your husband. I'd like to highlight the word submit there. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The word submit means basically to be submissive and it means to be or become inclined or willing to submit to orders or wishes of others, or showing such inclination. Now, it is a Greek military term meaning to arrange troops in a division, in a military fashion, under the command of a leader. You align under a leader. You form under the direction of a leader. In non-military use, the idea of submission is a voluntary attitude. It's a voluntary attitude of giving in, 
cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. It's a voluntary attitude. Now, can I say this? A lot of us, we expect our husbands to do this, and we expect our wives to do this. And that's where conflict usually happens. When we demand, when we make demands, the Bible says you should submit. You're going to have problems there, believe you me. And if the Bible says you should lead me, you're not leading. Well, the Bible says you should submit to me. There's a problem there. But the key here is voluntary. Can I say this? Don't expect your spouse to do his or her responsibility. The expectation we need to have is that we do our responsibility. We shouldn't demand. If I'm a husband, I shouldn't demand my wife to say, hey, you should submit to me. No, I should demand to myself, hey, you lead your wife. And you love your wife, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Don't demand that your wife should submit to you. Or if you're a wife, don't demand that your husband should lead you. Demand of yourself. What is your responsibility? Don't demand your spouse their responsibility. Demand yourself of your responsibility. And so, even if you make demands of yourself, and you have an argument with yourself, that's okay. Unless you're schizophrenic. You see, the principle here involved in submission, in submitting, is this. In Philippians 2, verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. The problem here today especially in this culture, North American culture, Western culture for that matter, but more particularly here in the United States where the individual is lifted up to a pedestal and say in the individual is the ultimate. I decide. I am the standard. It's my right. You know, you just watch the news. It's all about my right, my right, my right, my right. I teach history with my kids. So we homeschool our kids. And part of the lesson in history is knowing our rights. But those rights are not ultimate. They are subservient. They are subjected to the laws and the principles of God's word. And if you exercise your right, you have every right to exercise your right. As long as you don't step on the rights of others. As long as you don't impose on the rights of others. Many times we demand our rights, that people respect our rights, but we are bullying others and stepping on their rights as well. Somebody once said, you know what? You have the right to say whatever you want. I may disagree with you, but because you have that right, I will fight for your right to be able to say what you want to say. But it doesn't mean that I agree with you. The problem today is that if we get offended, we march out in the streets Can I just say it? In this politically correct generation, we're all like crybabies. That's me, not the Bible. (laughs) Really? We're like crybabies. Try to live during the age of the pioneers. Try to live during the time when, when Christianity was persecuted. See, life is not about Just pursuing your own happiness. Yes, you have a right to do that, but that is not the ultimate goal of life. That is a result of something far greater. The problem today is we make happiness, success, 
the ultimate goals of life. Verse 24 says there, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, does this mean unconditional obedience, absolute obedience? You see, this does not mean my way or the highway thing. And this is the problem many times that many husbands who don't understand in the spirit of the scriptures, see, you should submit to me. Whatever I say, you do, okay? If you don't submit to me, you're disobeying God. Now, we submit to Christ in all things. And that is warranted. Why? Because He is perfect. He is the Lord of all. But as far as husbands and wives are concerned, the picture of their relationship is this. Submission is a matter of function, not of value, not of worth. So ladies, I'm not here against you. Far be it from me to put women down. That's not what the Word of God says. We are here to uphold God's truth. You see here, we submit to Christ in everything. But it says here, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. What does that mean? See, only God deserves unconditional obedience. Only God deserves to receive unconditional obedience from us. Because He is God. Wives, do you think your husbands are God? You would say, no. But you know, a lot of husbands think they are. I'm the God of this home. I want us to see this in perspective, okay? So again, if you take one verse of the scripture and make a doctrine out of it, then you're missing the point. You see, if you want to get scripture, let scripture interpret scripture. So let's look at some other place that God's word speaks of regarding this issue. It says in everything you are to submit to your husbands. Colossians 3 verse 18 says this. It was still the Apostle Paul who wrote this. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. In another place it says, children, obey your parents in everything. But in another place it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Did Paul contradict himself? There's a movie that's out right now. It's called Split. It's Split Personalities. Did Paul have split personality? He wrote to the Ephesians and then another personality wrote to the Colossians. No, speaking of the same thing. And here we see, as we let Scripture interpret Scripture, we see here that in everything means wives you are to submit to your husband's legitimate authority as it is fitting. But if it becomes illegitimate, as long as what your husband is telling you to do is in line with God's word or his commands, then trust that. But if your husband is doing something like he's beating you up, you don't go, okay. You know what you do? You know what you can do? Forgive. And then maybe report him to the police. <laughs> but don't take matters into your own hands. Appeal to a higher authority. Appeal to God. And of course, we're not stupid people as well. If you are in danger, if your life is endangered, you need to do everything you can. Make sure that you're safe. As is fitting in the Lord. James, basically everything that is not contrary to who God is or what God represents or what God says. Ladies, again, don't. This is unfair. No, 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 no. It's not a question of value or worth. It's an issue of function because God is a God of order. Loving submission as long as the husband is doing what is righteous in God's eyes. The key here again, going back to our main text. When you submit, you submit as to 
the Lord. You don't submit to your husband's authority. Ultimately, you submit. His authority is a delegated authority. If a president or if a leader of a nation abuses the authority that's been bestowed upon that person, it becomes illegitimate. When they're abused, then we can push back. We can push back a bit. But as long as your husbands are leading in a righteous way, and there will be times your husband will be making a decision that you don't agree with, but it's not a sin. What he's saying is not a sin. I just can't seem to agree with it, but as unto the Lord, okay. I'll trust that he hears God. And if he's wrong, then as I submit, God will make sure that he'll take care of the situation. See, your trust should be in God. When you say, I can't trust my husband, he's making a wrong decision. You speak your mind, and if the husband says, okay, but I feel we need to do this, okay. But what you do is you pray. Lord, did he make the right decision? Lord, if he did not make the right decision, then Lord, open his eyes. Let him... Don't rebel. Don't go all out revolution against your husband. Submit as to the Lord. Third command is this. Husband, lead your wife. That is implied there in verse 23. It says there, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. You see, ah, I'm the head. I'm the boss. Do you realize that when you are given headship, it's not about you having your way? It's a delegated authority. And as a delegated authority, you are to reflect the authority that gave you that delegated authority. An FBI agent has delegated authority from the bureau, which has a code of conduct. Or maybe just a police. Police officers hold to a certain standard of conduct that is acceptable and moral. They have a moral code. And as they carry that badge, they are to reflect that. But if they misrepresent, if they violate that code, and they abuse their authority, they, I have the authority, I can just beat you up. Do you think they'll just have a free pass? They'll be held accountable for that. So husbands, don't think that because you're the leader, ha, I can do whatever, I, I, it's all about my kingdom now. No. You are responsible to God. And guess who's going to hold you accountable? God himself. And if you abuse that headship, you will answer to God. But you see, that is a great privilege as well. That's just God's order. It's a great responsibility. Such a tremendous weight upon you that God gives grace to you. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. See, the wife submits to the husband because God has made the husband the leader. Again, it's not a matter of worth. It's a matter of function. Husbands, it's not a sense of entitlement. I'm entitled to do this. You know. Tim Keller said this. The husband's authority, like the son's over us, is never to please himself, but only to serve the interests of his wife. And by extension, his family, his sons and daughters. The leadership is not to be a tyrant, but your leadership should be that of Christ's example, which is a servant type of leadership. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. And he's the leader of all of us. And yet his leadership he exemplified through his service. And as he served his disciples, he said, 
See, I've served you. Even though you call me your master, I served you. Now go and do likewise. That is how you lead. You lead by example of your service. You lead by example. So when my wife and I sometimes have an argument, and sometimes I struggle at times, Lord, we are both at fault. But I have this debate. Why do I have to be the one to say sorry first? It's not about who's right. It's about doing what's right. And I'm talking to you now, my son. And who's the leader of that home right now? So you go set the example. You go set the example as unto the Lord. And as I walk through that more and more, it becomes easier to do what is right. It becomes easier to say, I'm sorry. It becomes easier because it's not about me. It's about his honor. You know, we are to follow the servant leadership of Jesus Christ. Fourth command, again, going back to the husbands. Husbands, love your wives. You see, you are to lead them and you are to love them. We find that in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Do you understand what that means? Husbands, do you understand what that means? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but will have everlasting life. What did Jesus do because of his great love for us? He gave of his life. He died for us. Husbands, are you ready to be Christ-like? Are you ready to die to yourself? Of course, when it really calls for it, you will give of yourself. When you're in danger, you don't put your wife in front of you. Instinctively, you will put yourself in a harm's way just to protect. That's how God designed us as men. That's part of our wiring. We are here to protect, to serve them. Unconditional. The love that Paul spoke of here is that of an unconditional and sacrificial love. So it's not about what you get from the relationship. It's what you can give. So it's not about you serve me. It's how can I serve you? It's hard. But it's only by the grace of Christ that we can accomplish this. Jesus loved this church unconditionally and sacrificially. We are to do the same with our wives. Ephesians 5, 28-31 says there, In the same way, Husbands should love their wives as Christ demonstrated his love for the church in the same way. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. How do we show love and affection to our wives? We nourish them. We cherish them. We provide for them. And we, basically in verse 31, we leave all other human loyalties so that we can be committed only to one. Human loyalty. Fifth command is this for the wives. Respect your husbands. Verse 33 says there, Each one of you husbands should love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. How can I respect someone like that? As unto the Lord. Really? How many of you wives want to look beautiful? How many of you know you are beautiful? And you still want to look beautiful, right? Now, can I say this? You ain't pretty when you're disrespectful. Anyone who is disrespectful doesn't look good. You see a wife who's disrespectful? See, you're not going to attract your husband. And you wonder why. And you always belittle your husband like that. You're driving your husband away. You don't look pretty. You don't look nice. You can... 
Adorn yourself and still look ugly when you're disrespect. And husbands, it's the same. When you don't leave, when you don't do your role, you know what you look like? You look like a sissy. It doesn't look good. Now, we're not about appearance. But it does say here, I want you to see this. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 7. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of them, some do not obey the word, look at this, even if some are not believers, maybe some are believers, but maybe some are don't. Maybe they're believers, but sometimes they, they kind of uh, disobey the word from time to time. You can lump them all in there. Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning, your how you beautify yourself, don't let your adorning be external. The braiding of the hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear or even the makeup, you know. You know how you really look beautiful? Here. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty. Oh, how many of you want to have that? Imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. It's up to you. Or be gentle and quiet as unto the Lord. I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this for him. And as I love him, I love you even in spite of your flaws. This is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. The same principle goes with the husband. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Be understanding. Be understanding. Have the patience. Be gentle with them. Be tender with them. Sometimes if I have to bite my lip, sometimes if you have to bite your lip, be tender, be gentle. The same way, if your wife is an unbeliever or do not obey the word, by your example of doing what you're supposed to be doing, you can win that person over. So now, as, as we land this, there's a concern now, a modern day concern. Aren't these all obsolete? I mean... We're in the modern times, post-modern times even. We're in the post-Christian times even. Is this even relevant? Some people ask the question, since the world is ever-changing, are the commands of God in Scripture still relevant today? Just by looking at our main text, we'll show you that God's Word is relevant. Just by our main text alone. First, the commands that Paul gave show relevance because they are for the followers of Christ. You see, Paul gave these commands not to non-Christians, but he gave these to believers. This is what we expect of you. If you call yourself a believer, this is expected. It wasn't a suggestion from Paul. He commanded it. Submit to one another out of respect for Christ. Respect your husbands. Love your wives. Lead your wives. Submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents in everything. Slaves, servants, 
You obey your masters as unto the Lord. Those are not suggestions. Those are commands. Because those were expected of believers. Are you a believer here today? Then these are all expected of you. Secondly, these commands are based on God's timeless truth. That means it transcends culture. So it's not dependent on culture. The Jewish culture, no. I'll show you this. Who gave these commands? Out of divine revelation, the apostle Paul wrote, who was Paul? Paul was a, he was a Jewish person, Roman by birth. But as far as his, his ethnicity is concerned, he is Jewish with a Roman citizenship. Two cultures there, Jewish culture and Roman culture. And he spoke to non-Jews, Ephesians, who had their own culture, own way of doing things. But he said these things. The commands of God through the Apostle Paul's writings here transcend culture. So it's not a cultural thing. It's a truth thing. Of course, the Bible speaks of things that are cultural that we can't apply today. But as far as specific commands are given, those are not cultural. Those are timeless truths. And lastly, these commands are grounded on God's eternal love. Therefore, it transcends time. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. You see, genuine love is what people are looking for in this world, and only Christ can show that. We can only find that in Christ. How? Through His people who are living out His love. That's why it's important that we become Christ-like. It's not enough for you just to attend church and have the tag or the label Christian. No, it should be here in the heart. People know. When people look at you and the way you live, they know Christ is living in you. And that's how we demonstrate Christ to people. God's love is actually one of the three greatest virtues that will remain. The Bible says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. These will remain. Everything else will perish. But of all things, these are the three virtues that will remain. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these three is love. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, in the Amplified Bible, love never fails. It never fades nor ends. You see, God's commands are based on His eternal love, which never ends, never fades. Truth transcends culture and time. As we conclude, C.S. Lewis said this in his letters, To love you as I should... Speaking to his wife, I must worship God as creator. When I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. Going back to our main point last week, experiencing Christ's love enables us to express it to others. This is the foundation. And as we keep this in mind, this is how we are to love one another. How are we to love our spouses? As Christ loved us. Tim Keller, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, said this, Marriage is a major vehicle for the gospel's remaking of your heart from the inside out and your life from the ground up. The gospel can fill our hearts with God's love 
so that you can handle it when your spouse fails to love you as he or she should. See, the way we are to love is not by our ability, but it's by the power of the gospel that has transformed us. And we rely on that power in us, to work in us. And that's why we, even if our spouses fail in their responsibility, we are able to handle it and still express His love to those who fail us. Most especially our spouses. And that is the beauty of the gospel. That is the beauty of Christ-centered marriages. See, Christ can be in the center of a marriage of two imperfect people. And when there are two imperfect people there, and Christ there, the grace of God abounds. And that's what people see. I like that with this. Selfless love in marriage is possible only when Christ is at the center. Selfless love in marriage is possible only when Christ is at the center. We can't be selfless without Christ. Because in and of ourselves, we will revert to our sinful ways, and that is selfishness. If you're trying to get something from a relationship, that is not selfless. That is selfishness. That means your focus is on yourself, not on Christ. Maybe you're a believer already, but yet you're still focusing on what you can get. It's time to open your eyes. It's time to grow up. It's time to look to Jesus and look to His example. It's not about what we can get. It's what we can give. He's given us so much and he's, He is our example. And as we love, as Christ loved us, He can demonstrate His love through us. And that is the demonstration of His love that the world is looking for. A marriage centered on Christ, filled with grace, filled with forgiveness, filled with truth. It is in our marriages, Christians, believers, if you're married, challenges will be there, but it, those challenges present you opportunities to become more Christ-like, to grow in your faith in Christ, to grow in your knowledge of Christ, to grow in your love for one another, to grow in your forgiveness, to grow in how you walk in mercy. You see, your marriage is a great platform for you to live the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's only the gospel that will sustain you. The power of Christ in you has transformed you and it is what will be transforming the community around you. As we do our roles, as we let Christ be the center, our marriages will be a testimony, will be a witness of Christ's love and grace to the world. Father, I pray right now for your people, those who are married. Some of them, their marriages are great, wonderful. Thank you, Lord, for blessing them. Thank you that you are at the center of their lives. Some of you people here, they're struggling in their marriage. Lord, they're believers, but they're struggling because they either they have not seen that you should be at the center or they're so distracted by the problems, they're overwhelmed. They're looking to the wrong thing. They're looking to their spouses to meet their needs. Only you can ultimately meet our needs, Lord. Lord, I pray, would you help them whose marriages are struggling? And if you are struggling in your marriage, you just have to acknowledge it in some way and say, Lord, I need help. And please don't say, 
I need you to help change my spouse. That's not the prayer we're supposed to be praying. You're supposed to say, Lord, I need help. Please change me. The change I'm looking for should begin with me. Lord, please change my heart. Lord, let the gospel transform my heart and my understanding and my mind. And help me love as you love. Help me love my wife or my husband as you love me. And forgave me and gave yourself for me. Lord, would you help me? Lord, would you help those people right now? Do acknowledge that before God. If you are struggling, don't deny it. Don't say, ah, we're doing okay. Say, Lord, I need help. We need help. And Lord, let your grace be upon them. Help them to see that their spouses are not their problem. They are for each other. They are part of the team. And they have challenges that they need to face as a team. Lord, I pray, would you open their eyes. And I pray, Father, that you would restore their marriage. I pray that you would renew, Lord, the love for one another. Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes. That they would discover, Lord, even a deeper realm of their spouses that they've never seen before. And I pray for a great appreciation. And I pray also that you would cause them to love as you love them. Help them to walk in their responsibilities and roles. Help them not to demand the responsibilities of their spouses, Lord, to meet their needs. Lord, I pray that they would demand of themselves their own responsibility so that they can reflect you to their spouses. Lord Jesus, only you can bring that transformation. So we ask you, Lord, to transform us. We surrender to you. You are our all in all. You are Lord of our lives. And we surrender these things. Lord, for those people who've been fighting, they've been having issues, I pray that they would lay down those issues at the foot of the cross right now. Oh Lord, that they would repent of the pettiness and allowing themselves to be used by the enemy to be, to be the weapon against their spouses. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would love, not despise or tear down one another. I pray that you would restore their marriages even now, that they would love one another as unto the Lord they would submit to one another as unto the Lord, that they would love one another as unto the Lord, that you would be honored in their relationships. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name.